Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Broker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Joe Lalo. For, di- for today's show, we're going to talk about whether it's too late to start today and break out as an author, i.e. sell enough books to make a good income and quit the day job if that's your goal. Uh, this is something that comes I see coming up a lot in a lot of author hangouts online is that the easy gold rush days are way in the past and it's way more competitive now. And uh, we're not necessarily deny- denying that it's more competitive now, but we're going to look at things. And we actually asked you guys on our Facebook group, kind of when did you get started and like, is it easier then or are you doing better now? So uh, we'll read some of your answers. Uh, we appreciate you guys participate- participating. So we want to share your answers and then we'll also give our thoughts on, on them. And then at the end, we will kind of break it down and do a like what we would do if we were starting today without, you know, much money or a huge backlist or, or no backlist basically or anything. And I, I will say that my answer, I, we wrote these out ahead of time because that's the way we roll here. We like to be uh, not on the spot. But um, my answer is almost the same as when I launched my pen name in 2014. So I think that things have changed, but there are some things that are continuing to work. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, before we jump into that stuff, do you guys have any news that you would like to share? Sure. Um, because we, we recorded these two episodes pretty close together, this in the previous episode, I don't have a whole lot that happened in between. Um, I did do the official announcement of the Big Sigma 6 launch. The pre-order is, is ro- <coughs> rolling. And I also set up a price drop. I was, I was initially going to skip that too as part of my launch process. But the last two books that I released, I did the staggered uh, pricing drop where the first one's free and each additional one is a dollar extra. Uh, I decided to do that one this time too, because that's useful to keep running longer than the release. Like I did it for two weeks before and two weeks after the release for each of the previous books. This time I think I'm going to do it for one week before and question mark after just run it until it stops being useful. So I set that up too. Uh, I didn't announce the price drop in one of the emails so that I'll be able to announce it as a new thing in the next email. Ah, clever. And uh, the other thing that I learned, uh, if you are publishing via Google Books, you probably already know this, but Google Books now allows you to use promo codes. And uh, promo codes is something I really liked about Smashwords and still do like about Smashwords. But uh, now you can do it with Google Books as well, which is probably a little bit more accessible than Smashwords just in general. Uh, and, you know, the thing that's great about promo codes is they're not a price change, which means there's no price matching involved. So there's a lot of utility for promo codes. And I think that this is something that's going to be handy for people who have a pretty good footprint on Google Books. Yeah, I do wish that Amazon would do something like that because you can you can buy copies of your own book to give away. <laughs> but that's kind of crummy, you know. I'd rather use BookFunnel, but it would be nice uh, for the because you're going to have users that just aren't interested in doing BookFunnel. They want it to appear in their Amazon Kindle library and to always come with them when they get new uh, devices, which is totally understandable because now that I've been running the Patreon for like three years, probably, I've definitely had people email and say like, oh, I didn't save that and I got a new device and now I don't have the old device anymore. Can I have these, you know, 10 books that I got over the year? And yeah, uh, you know, it's it's possible, I think, on BookFunnel to go in and uh, for them to get them, I think. I'm not sure. Do you guys know? Is that a thing? If they can get something they downloaded a year ago that's no longer, like it's expired, 
Uh, if it's expired, they can't. Like, if the link is expired, they can't. But uh, if they have the link still and link isn't expired, then they can. And you can also, I think, temporarily unexpire a link. Uh, but that's just as much work as making a new one. Right. That's kind of what I've ended up doing is like, Either that or I say, if they're okay, we're just getting them in an email, I'll throw them in an email. But so that's a thing. The longer you're like selling direct or, <laughs> you know, doing the Patreon and giving away stuff to realize that you'll have people uh, that lose them, uh, which is understandable. Not everybody's like obsessively throwing their stuff in Dropbox or, or whatever you use the way authors are who don't want to lose a single sentence of any project. Uh, has have, we've all, I feel like every author goes through that where you lose like half a manuscript or something. And uh, then you, from there on out, you're very careful about backups. Uh, as far as my news, uh, nothing too much here for me either. I sent my, this is my seventh Death Before Dragons urban fantasy novel off to my editor and should be starting on it soon. And I'm about 25, 30,000 words into the next one. Uh, after the after I do, I'm doing a trilogy, one more trilogy. So I have two more. I think I've mentioned this last time, and then I'll be starting on the epic fantasy. And um, those are going to be longer books, or that's the plan anyway. So I kind of have to figure out. Yeah, you know, I have to stagger these last three urban fantasies to come out. Not exactly when they're ready, but a little bit farther along, so that I can you know keep the income up from having the new releases while I'm working on the. Probably it'll be the first two books in the epic fantasy. I, I usually try to write the first three and do, you know, guys, I do the rapid release and launch the first three back to back. But my goal is to have like the first one be 150,000 words. So it'll make an awesome audiobook value for people on the credit system. Cause I always end up having to like bundle the first three or something like that to make it a really long. Cause my book ones are never long. And then by the end of the series, it's like 150,000 words per book. So I'm going to attempt to make it longish from the start. I, I know the uh, people out there writing the Chihuahua Killers are like 150,000. That's just a slight, small epic fantasy. We wouldn't even call that epic, but we will see how it goes. But definitely something to think about if you are considering doing the uh, write a few, hold them and then release them quickly is obviously you're not going to be getting income from those books while you're waiting. So it might be easier if you're still at your day job and have the income coming in, or you're just uh, doing well enough that you don't have to worry about too much about the drop-offs if you're not releasing uh, during that time. All right, Andrea, I'll pass it to you for your news. Um, good. And also um, your internet is really awesome. <laughs> I got the uh, the internet that was in the tree at the shipping container house. They came and installed it in my house. It's on the roof here now. And uh, apparently, if you're ever rural and have to choose, and you have the choice between satellite that goes up to space or line of sight satellite dishes that go to another tower in town or something like that, definitely pick the line of sight with the local ISP, it will be a better experience. And I actually know this from being in a signal unit in the army way back in the day, we had the different kinds of dishes, but um, I didn't know that's what they had. So also they had a really like eight week wait on installs. So that's the reason I made the mistake and I got in with the other one first, but hopefully now we will be good to roll on. Do you know how far away line of sight is? I mean, do you have to be within a certain... I don't know what it is here. I feel like our things in the army, this was like 20 odd years ago. We're like 20 or 30 miles. You know, they had to be within. So you're shooting up to like a mountaintop or something. Somebody who is actually in signal will correct us in the comments because <laughs> it's actually just the person that set up the internet. I didn't set up the dishes. I was just in the unit with those guys. 
Awesome. All right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm way interested in that because, you know, I want to be off, off grid basically. I just want to be elbow room, you know, and, and property, lots of property. Um, okay. So kind of like Joe, um, I'm, I'm in the middle of, um, I don't know, reevaluating a lot of things about my business. So like health problems, new ones that I've talked to Joe and Lindsay about, but haven't really discussed on the podcast. And I haven't felt like discussing cause I don't, I'm just kind of beyond everything. I'm just, um, that, and then everything else on my plate, it's just been sapping my energy and even my desire to write, which is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of freaky. Um, I've never been in this position before. I'm not entirely sure where things are going to take me. I told my readers a couple of weeks ago that I've been restless with my newsletter. Um, I've been restless with a lot of things and you can ask Nolan, he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. And, um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm going through a midlife crisis. Is it too early? I'm, I'm almost 39. Is that too early for a midlife crisis? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Lindsay's shaking her head. Um, maybe she's shaking her head and be like, I can't believe you, Andrea. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Just don't buy like a Ferrari or something and you're good. <laughs> I don't know. Nolan's midlife crisis was exercise. He's, he works out. He's always been working out, but he works out more now, which is, you know, I have proof. <laughs> it's cheaper than a Ferrari. Um, anyway, so based on responses to my poll from last week's episode, it looks like I'll be doing courses on Facebook and possibly dictating or dictating and possibly Facebook. Um, I kind of want more direction in that. And so I'll be bothering everyone with what you're, what basically what you're hoping for over on the Facebook group. So come join the Facebook group if you're not already a member. Um, and I'll, I'll have you guys ask questions. Um, so like I'll say, you know, if I do a poll on Facebook or not a poll, if I do a course on Facebook, what do you want to know? And then I'll make sure that I address that sort of thing in a course and same with dictating. Um, but that's pretty much everything for me right now. All right. Well, we will jump into our main topic then. And uh, as I said, I grabbed quite a few quotes from you guys since, uh, I don't know, I wanted everybody to feel involved with the show. So uh, I will be reading them in batches. I've kind of uh, categorized them to the best of my abilities. So uh, this first one, uh, just to remind you, the questions were, how long have you been publishing? And did you have better luck earlier on? Have things improved or are they about the same? All right. Johannes says, I published my first book in October 2016. 2020 will be my best year so far. I publish in German. Anne says, I'm new and enjoying the chance to write every day. Turns out I really can write a book a month. A friend laughed and said, why did I waste my time teaching? I met Lobster. And I think that's the 20 books. They have like different sea creatures represent different amounts of money you're making each month. Uh, I'm at Lobster with a trilogy and five books in another series. I've been learning the whole time and know my next hurdle is somehow getting my ads to work. I'm pleased with how the books are selling and they have exceeded my expectations. But of course, I'm obsessing over seeing if I can progress to another level. Jane says, on and off in various genres under various names for eight years, some as a ghost, some for myself. I'm making far, far more money now. It was easier to be seen quicker and cheaper a few years back, but I have more experience to utilize now. Adi says, I first published in 2013, and while the first year was fun and slightly profitable, profitable, that was followed by the years that shall not be named. But once I did a better job at understanding best practices like writing to market so I meet readers' expectations, rapid release, and ads, it's gotten pretty steadily better and better. Adam says, started in 2013. 20- 
12. Went full-time last Christmas, so yes, improved. I also changed up what I was doing, though, and worked harder and faster. Angel, nine years. I did not start off lucky at all. I was totally clueless. Each year has been better for me and way better about five years in. This year may be a little less, but will possibly even out with audio, etc. Shannon says, I published my first book in February 2014. I think things have gotten better. It's frustrating that I keep hearing about the glory days. I was there. Some people had books take off, but not everyone. I've learned about writing the market and marketing. My income has grown over time, and 2020 is my best year ever. So I always feel that way too when people are like the gold rush days. I'm like, yeah, I published my first book and didn't sell any. So I feel that. Um, so just my thoughts on these first few quotes, and we'll all chime in here is that I thought it was good to point out there are people that are doing really well here in 2020, even though it's been a nutso year, and even having their best year ever in some cases. I think it's really easy to get down with the doom and gloom stuff right now, uh, especially this year, and especially if your earnings are down. What do they say? It's a recession if your neighbor loses his job and a depression if you lose yours. Um, but, you know, it's, I hope it's encouraging that people are still finding success here this year. And I also think it's worth noting that all but one of these people got started a while ago, and it's taken some time for them to gain momentum. Uh, every now and then, someone has success right out of the starting blocks, and you can become a lobster, which I have no idea what that <laughs> is. That's like a million dollars a month or $10,000 a month or a thousand. I don't know the, the levels, but... Uh, that's rare. You know, I think you'll find that most people, it kind of takes a while to learn the ropes and to really start getting some momentum and seeing some success. Yeah. Um, I got to say that like, we're, we're, we're hearing from people who have like steady year over year growth here. Uh, and that's the best kind of growth to have. Not only does it reinforce that you're making the right decisions because you wouldn't continue to do well if you weren't making the right decisions or at least weren't gifted in some way or another. Luck doesn't continue year after year after year. Uh, but it's also established that like the algorithm likes that the best. The holding steady or growing slightly gets you the most love from the algorithm because you're a proven sales item. So just in general, there's a, a, a unless there's a massive paradigm shift, if you are holding steady or going up slightly every year, then you're golden, especially if you happen to be at a full-time income. Uh, and even if there's a massive paradigm shift, which is what it will take to unseat you if you've been doing pretty consistently well, you will have a leg up because you clearly have got the skills necessary and the back catalog to work off of. So it's an excellent place to be once you've sort of figured out the year after year steady inc uh, increase. I'm actually interested in, in um, hearing what Adam changed up. So Adam, if you're listening, uh, post in the Facebook group and tag me just because, I don't know, that kind of thing fascinates me. I'm like, ooh, and I'm sure listeners would be like, ooh, what did he change? <laughs> so um, so my thoughts on this, um, having books already under your belt helps a lot when success does hit, uh, not just because readers have stuff to go back and read, but also because you're far more likely to be able to replicate that success. So you know what it takes to write a book and how much time it takes. You know your style, you know your voice, and you know the reader you're writing for, et cetera. And if you don't know the readers you're writing for, you know how to find them. So, um, and then Lindsay also brought up a really great point. Uh, it's easy to say things are doing really awful in general. If you're doing poorly, it's also, it's super easy to let your, your situation affect, uh, how you view things, but there is an up and down with everything. And some authors go down while others are going up. It's impossible for everybody to be going down at the same time. I mean, unless the world's dead and the internet doesn't work anymore and nobody has money. I mean, somebody's going to be going up somewhere. Um, 
it's not fun and sometimes it doesn't even seem fair. But if you've had successful days in the past, you've proven that you can have them, which means it's possible to go back. So don't let discouragement get you down in that regard. And sometimes uh, spending a lot of time on like the Facebook author groups, or just even looking at your stats a lot on Amazon, like how many sales you're getting can be like, it's great if things are going well, like I'll check a lot when I'm having new series I'm releasing, but then I think it's better maybe for your mental health to just focus on the next book you're working on. Maybe take a break from the groups, especially if you are someone that gets frustrated by seeing other people's success when you're not having success, which is perfectly understandable. Um, It's great if you can get motivated, but you know, if it, things aren't working as well as you want. It can just be a little, feel like they're rubbing it in your face when of course you're just trying to help and be motivating. So maybe take a break from all that stuff while you're working on the next project. Uh, you know, especially if you're feeling your creative juices are being sapped because you're just, it's like, why aren't there more book sales on this book? This is my best book ever. Uh, that can be super frustrating. All right. So the second batch of quotes, calling this the life happens batch. Uh, so I think a lot of you guys may, well, you're in the group. So some of these are you, but, uh, other, you know, everybody, not everybody, not everybody responded, of course. So I think there's a lot of people like this out there though. Um, okay. First one, Meg started in February, 2011. It was so easy back then. Ha ha. Best years, 2014, 2015, and 2016. I barely work now due to medical stuff, but my books still pull in a living wage with almost no advertising. So I can't complain. Zoe says, I first published to Near Crickets in 2013, but thanks to some successful cross-promotion and fast writing, was able to go full-time in 2014 when I was laid off. I wasn't yet at full-time money, but I could see the past and had severance pay to bridge the gap. I've maintained full-time writing ever since. 2016 was my best year. The four since then have felt a bit like maintenance mode, but I feel very lucky to say that maintenance mode is possible. Matt says, I started in 2017 with 2018 being my best year. I am not full-time and my day job changed in 2019 and I have not put out a new title since. The ad space became a lot more competitive and my sales have dropped off. I'm clawing my way back now, but the last couple of years have been a big derail on the path toward my full-time goal. Celine says, I started in July 2015, published a couple of books, and then my life imploded and I had to abandon writing completely for the best part of three years. So by the time I published again in early 2019, it was basically like starting from scratch. Getting visibility was definitely way easier back in 2015. I was getting decent sales without really doing any without doing any really effective marketing. I floundered around a bit, but had no idea what I was doing. These days though, we have so many more tools. So I feel far more confident and empowered now than I did back then. And I feel like I have far more control over my sales than I did back then. So my thoughts on on these guys are that some of them are not having as much success now as they did earlier in their careers, but it's because they've kind of had something happen. So they weren't able to put out books at all or as consistently as they were before. And I think this is really common. (laughs) Like This is not an anomaly, guys. It's actually the, the anomaly is probably the people that don't have anything major happen and able to, aren't able to keep just putting books out on a regular schedule. Um, so it's, it's going to happen. You're going to get derailed. And sometimes everything will slow to a trickle if you're not able to keep up putting out books. Consistency is super helpful in building a career. So it is tough if you lose that. So... You know, the only advice I have here really is it's kind of good for to plan for a possible future when you can't write as much as you like or as much as you do now, or maybe you don't want to write that much anymore, right? I'm kind of thinking 
not necessarily towards retirement, but towards a day where I, I'd slow down and maybe travel a little more when, when that's a thing we can do again. Right. Um, but you know, you want the freedom to do other things. So this is where it's good. If, if you do get to the position where you're making extra money, um, maybe you can start investing that money, especially if you haven't quit your day job yet. That's something I wish I had kept the income coming from my sort of day job for longer before I just was like, I was so excited that I had some sales that I really just doubled down on the author thing. I was like, I was determined to make it work. And I did. But if you think about it, if you're able to like have two incomes, it's really easy just to take that new income and like pay off all your debt, you know, maybe even buy your house if you live somewhere where that's feasible. And then it just becomes a lot less stressful later on where you only need much less money to, to live on uh, because you're, you're in a good place or, and you've been hopefully making some investments. So, uh, you know, just it's, it's like any other job to think that you're going to get to the point where your books just pay all the bills and you don't have to write any more books is kind of not, it doesn't happen for many people, you know, unless you get some giant Hollywood deal and, you know, a whole bunch of things go right. Very few authors are ever going to be in that position. So it's really like any other job. You just have to be thinking X amount of money every month, pay myself first, put into a retirement account, you know, or whatever you want to get into real estate, something that you can retire you're early if you want to, or just feel a little less pressure because you've uh, gotten everything squared away when times were good. All right. Let you guys ramble. All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I have to say that um, what Lindsay said is one of the reasons I'm here talking to you about this is because I did what Lindsay said. I kept, I was making sort of a living wage for at least two years while I was still working my day job. And the money that I put away during that time, uh, I put together a nice little retirement fund that's been so slowly building on its own. And I put the down payment on the house that I'm currently living in. I completely wiped out student loan debt and all that stuff. Like when you can, it, it, and as a result, I could, I, I am making a fraction of what I was making back then, but I'm living the same lifestyle because I planned for it. Um, so definitely if you are doing well right now or you, you know, keep an eye in the future, not just for the super long run, but in case there's a divot, just try to try to have a, a, a net. And considering the entire world is in the midst of a gigantic upheaval right now, I think we can all identify with this bunch. Uh, it's important to realize that after you hit a roadblock, starting over again will never be quite the same as starting from scratch. Like you'll often hear the phrase, it feels like I'm starting from scratch. You aren't. And remember that you aren't. For one thing, ideally you've still got products out there unless for some reason the roadblock you hit knocks your products off the, off the list, which does happen, uh, for all sorts of reasons. But you've also accumulated skills and both on, in writing and also promoting because you, you know, it's not a roadblock if you weren't cruising to begin with. So like just if you are in a situation right now where you're stumbling because of, uh, of anything, keep in mind that they can't take away the things that you've learned and the things that you've already created. So uh, everyone has low spots and failures, but recovery is extremely possible. Yeah. Um, so the good thing with life taking over for a while, for a while is this, yes, uh, you'll be pretty much starting from scratch, except I mean, like what Joe said, you're not completely starting from scratch, but where a lot of things are concerned, you're still a seasoned business owner in many ways. So you won't need, need, need to relearn craft or how to write a book. You might be a bit rusty, of course. Um, you know where to go to get answers. You have connections and friends and access to all of the new knowledge. Um, this is very encouraging for me right now while I'm facing possibly taking a longer break from writing than planned. Um, 
But here's another thing that so many authors look down on. Um, Lindsay mentioned, mentioned wanting to write. So people change, goals change, personalities, tastes, hobbies change. Stopping writing does not equate with failure unless that's what you want it to be. So being an indie author means you're not burning bridges. It's not like you're with a publisher or an agent or somebody's waiting for you all the time, unless you're under contract in some way. But being an indie author means that if you quit for a while or if life forces you to slow down for a bit, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, guilt should not enter the equation when you're deciding how much time to put toward your writing output. So if you're trying to get back into a good groove or if you've, or if you're trying to decide if you want to take a break, guilt, guilt, don't let guilt be part of that decision because it, this is, these are your books and this is your life, not your readers, not other authors, not your royalties. I will say that if you have at all the chance to wrap things up tidily in a series or at least the book you're writing on before you take a break, that'd be a great thing because we've all seen authors get hounded online because they're like, the readers are like, where's the next book? George R. R. Martin or um, not him, but you know, just a, any author. I've seen it happen to any authors too, where you're lucky enough to have, you know, gotten a really big fan base and following eagerly with each installment. So, uh, you know, if you can just maybe it's kind of hard to tell a lot of life stuff just hits you out of, you know, like a car on the, <laughs> the freeway, right? It's like, you're not prepared for it. But if you are thinking of taking a break and can, uh, if not wrap up the series and at least make the, the book you're working on have a ending that's not got the hero dangling from the cliff by his fingers, it will be easier on you. Otherwise you feel this guilt because the readers are like all the time. I get that even when I release quickly, it's like, well, Where's the next one? <laughs> you left him in prison on the spaceship, sailing away, away from his home. I'm like, yeah, but that was only two months ago, guys. All right. Third batch. I'm calling this group the steady as she goes or experimenting and innovating to stay, hang in there. Uh, Kat says she's been publishing since 2020, first breakthrough in 2014 that allowed going full-time, then steady from there with the occasional bump of a breakout book and steady growth of translations and now audio. Piper says, my first release was 2015. I wasn't a fast writer. I'm still not, but I released three books a year until going full-time in 2019. My business has grown every year, including 2020, but I'm having to get more creative to maintain that growth rate. Though I don't have clean data to back it up because I'm always changing my promos, etc. Gains don't seem to come as easily as they once did. I invest a lot of time in experimenting both of my products and marketing, and maybe 20% of that will pay off and get wrapped into my core approach. Patty says, started in 2011, pretty much crickets. I started both my mainstay series in 2012, but everything I've done is about the slow burn. Like Joe, I write in different genres at the same time. My best years were 2016 and 2017, but since then I've done monumentally stupid things like rapid release things into KU, spurred on by some people who shall remain unnamed. I think she's talking about me, guys. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, after that disaster, I discovered audio, and this has saved my butt. Meg says, I published first in July 14 with zero clue and no success. Got my manure together and restarted in early 2017. This coincided with childbearing and rearing years, so I did take a maternity year out since and had some health issues to address. That being said, managed to get to six figures writing and publishing three epic fantasies a year. It's definitely getting harder, but still doable. Multiple income streams are a must for stability, I find. 
So with this batch, I think the, the guys, the ladies and guys, are <laughs> the people who are doing, you know, able to continue and have a career for years and years in this field are evolving and finding other ways to market and other sources of income, like the translations and the audiobooks. And thus they're able to make it work, even if it does seem like, or it may be it not seem like, but it is getting harder and more competitive. So I think when you see people around today, who were around five or 10 years ago, and they're still selling decently, you'll see that they've been willing to change with the times and have accepted that what worked yesterday may not continue to work today. But, you know, the, the, the encouraging thing, I think, is there'll always be something new tomorrow. And if you're paying attention and ready to take advantage of it, you may be the first, the person that jumps in there and they're able to find success by, from this new thing. Uh, I still remember when I got started in 20, the end of 2010, I felt like I'd missed the boat, but there were people who had come in and done the patio book thing where they were just publishing their audio book. They were just reading it themselves and putting them up on uh, iTunes and, and what, all the different services. And some people got contracts out of that from publishers because they were just the first ones to jump in there and adopt that and start using it. And, and other people built fan bases and they're still publishing today. And every time they release a new book, even if it's not like every month or every two months, they get a huge number of people. You know, I, I've got a couple of people I follow that all of a sudden it's like 200 reviews. So, and that was based on the audience they built up, taking advantage of what was the new thing back in like 2008. Uh, and boy, time's changing a lot <laughs> right now, you know, so there's always new things coming along. And maybe the next thing is something that will be super exciting to you and that you can take advantage of. So... Um, I did want to add on that Meg mentioned multiple income streams, and that definitely allows you to sleep better at night. I've mentioned before, like, I totally will take advantage of the Amazon exclusivity thing because it really works well for me to launch new series into KU. But at the same time, about 80 to 90% of my catalog is wide, and I still I try to do enough things to promote the, you know, my perma free book ones out there to keep those book sales coming in at the other retailers. And if it, the months aren't as good as when I was just releasing everything wide at the other retailers, but I still make enough that like if Amazon suddenly went away that I could make a, a decent living from the other sites. And I find that very comforting. So anything you can do with your IP to try to, you know, get more income, whether it's trying to sell foreign rights or doing the audiobooks or, you know, whatever you can find out there, or even maybe you're driving an Uber truck, you know, and this, you got this side hustle to help it be less stressful. And, you know, like Joe was talking about earlier, putting money away for when you need it later or, or just as investments to uh, try to get ahead, ahead in life. Uh, that, that is a great thing to have lots of multiple streams of income coming in except at tax time when it becomes confusing and you, you enviously like sigh and be like, I remember the days when I got a W2 and that was it. <laughs> but um, that is a subject for another show. We'll have to do the tax and accounting and business show at some point here. But uh, Joe, did you want to share your thoughts? Uh, I, I will, I will certainly uh, agree that I, I missed the days when I only had one or two forms to worry about because Amazon's better now. For a while, Amazon gave you individual uh, uh, 1099s for like every conceivable storefront, and now it's at least piled up into one, but uh, it's complicated. Uh, all right. So self-publishing, uh, it can feel like a treadmill, uh, except that someone else is controlling the slope of the treadmill, which is even worse. Uh, if you've been keeping yourself afloat thanks to nimbleness and experimentation like these folks, uh, you should pat yourself on the back because you're using the precisely the set of skills that indie authors have available to them that wouldn't really be available to them if they were strictly traditional, like 
when you're in complete control of your career, the hard part is you're in complete control of your career and you have to do things right for it to work. But the better part is if things change, you can change. And the experimentation is should go part and parcel with being an indie author. Uh, if you find yourself in this situation or you suspect you'll be approaching the situation in the future, Develop your skills at figuring out what promotions are working well. The return on investment calculations are going to be your friend here because you're going to have very sharp margins that you're going to have to worry about. So it's definitely a situation where you're going to want to, uh, you know, figure out how to use a spreadsheet or a database, <laughs> whatever it takes to figure out how to how to know if what you're doing is working uh, is super duper important at this stage of the game. So, um, some of, one of the things that I see a lot, and this is something I've actually experienced myself. Um, and, um, what I see this on, um, just random Facebook groups, people, people ignore the fact that it is harder to get, to gain traction now. And, um, that's something that I've done, you know, a little trap I've fallen into. And I'm like, oh yeah, but if you work hard, it's true. If you work hard, but you also have to work smart, you can gain traction. But, um, ignoring that is setting yourself up for failure. Um, it's important to be realistic and flexible. So realistic, take off the rose colored glasses. Um, realize that the success others see isn't necessarily indic indicative of the level of success you'll see and don't allow yourself to be discouraged or to feel discouraged by this. Um, and then being flexible means two things, able to pivot when something better comes along and then making sure that you're not pivoting too frequently because that can mess things up quite a bit. Um, but also having the humility to admit when you've been wrong and correcting any behaviors or mentalities that you are wrong in. And so like, if you've been marketing and promoting a certain way and you're like, Oh, this is not working anymore, you know, being, being willing to actually fix that. Um, and then also there's a difference between aimless daydreams and solid goals. So solid goals help you recognize your limitations and abilities. They're usually a step above what you can comfortably reach. So it's not like a 10,000 day, 10,000 words every single day when you're comfortably doing 2000 words, it's more like 2.3 thousand words a day. And then aimless daydreams, they lead to discouragement because they're not backed up by work. Um, again, it's the aimless, you know, there's, there's not, that, that drive, there's not that the actual goals that you're putting in. And then, so solid goals lead to success, maybe not immediately, but eventually and learning about the market and recognizing what you need to do to be successful. And then also having the right life situation. So, um, you know, like not having a lot of health problems, being in a good position where your kids are independent and, you know, maybe they're in school or if you're homeschooling, they're able to take care of a lot of it themselves. They're not as hands-on, uh, just, just recognizing that, Certain things are in your control and certain things are out of your control. Don't not allow yourself to feel discouraged by that. And then, um, and then, um, um, yeah, just, just the whole experimenting going forward, making sure that you have, um, you have the goals that you need to have to get where you want to go. All right. And that will bring us into our last batch that we snagged from the Facebook group. And I'm calling these the folks that honestly, I thought there would be a lot more of these. I thought this would be at least half of the people's responses would kind of fall into this finding less success or finding things harder today, despite working as hard or harder than you have in the past. So we definitely want to share these and give thoughts on these too, since that is also a common thing that people are experiencing right now. All right. Kelly says, I've been publishing for five years in December. I think it was better for me earlier on. The reason I say that is now I have to publish pretty much monthly to make what I did publishing every two to three months in the beginning of my career. So I have to work harder and there's more anxiety, but I seem to be in the minority here, which doesn't surprise me. I'm usually odd one out. 
I don't think you're in the minority, Kelly. I think that a lot of people are feeling that. Uh, Richard says, been self-publishing since about 2010. I went full-time for a couple of years, but then my income dropped to a third of prior and I had to get an honest job again. Unlike us bank robbers here on the podcast, (laughs) more or less things seem to require a lot more work for a lot lower results and I can't compete with ad dollars. So shrug feels a bit like a rough ride at the moment. Peter says, indie publishing since 2012. Free first in series used to work more, but not so much since Amazon split the charts. Adverts used to be cheaper per click. Now you need a large back catalog. <laughs> now you need a large back catalog to make any advertising worthwhile. I think the early gold rush is very much over. Obviously, still a lot of people do very well, but the number of skills required has gone exponential. Still learning, still trying. Book ten out next spring. Fingers crossed, my second series will do better now better now in epic fantasy all right so like i said i thought we would actually have a lot more people who said it was way better five or ten years ago and it's like pushing a boulder uphill now i I see it just seems like i get this sense i see this a lot out in the author community that there's this pervasive feeling that you have to write more and more to earn less and less you have to spend more and more on advertising and profit less and less and i'm sure that many people are finding that true But I also think that at least some of the people you see who are writing a lot are doing so because they're being handsomely rewarded for being that prolific, or they've just gone full-time and gotten efficient and write books pretty quickly. So why wouldn't you write a lot? Possibly I'm talking about myself in that camp. Um, I think being willing to adapt and innovate, which means paying attention to what's working for people, at least uh, as much as they're willing to share that you can see from watching them, is going to continue to be super important. And and that kind of ties in with what I was talking about before. Uh, It seems like every other year, there's something new or every year, there's something new. And if you get in there early, like if you got into Amazon ads early, or if you got into Facebook ads in 2014, when hardly anybody was doing them, things were cheaper and there is going to be something just (laughs) there will be keep working on building your backlist you know get your series finished start the next series you know so that when a new opportunity comes along or you have something take off which often happens like it might be your 20th book that you write or your fourth series that one just kind of happens to strike the zeitgeist a little bit more or be maybe to more would market or have more of the tropes people want even if you didn't intend for it to be so and if you have that backlist when something takes off, uh, assuming people enjoy the book that took off, they're going to go back and read your other books. And it's actually uh, better if you have that success later on than if you have it like with your first or second book, because there's nowhere for them to go after they read. <laughs> They've read your book and then you're still working on your next one and they'll probably forget about you by the time that comes out. So, you know, it's it's tough. It is a tough time. Be ready to jump on the next thing that could help, could be useful. And like I said, keep working on your backlist. Realize that I don't think that you have to write a book a month to, uh, you know, to make it. Um, if, if you're finding that that seems to be the case, uh, I would say kind of like what, you know, ask yourself, what am I doing? Um, could I be giving people a little more of what they want? It, you know, I think it's, it's going to be telling if you do get new readers and you get a lot of emails, like I read everything that you've read. And uh, if you're not getting that, if you're getting people that only read the series that you brought them in on, you know, maybe there's a little more craft stuff to be doing. Maybe you could be a, a little more, you know, just things to work on to really give people what they want. Because I think that's the hardest thing. Uh, if you really build a loyal fan base, you're going to be able to make a living with 
probably I was, I don't know, a couple books a year, right? I made it to six figures on about three novels a year. And I was actually selling a lot less. Like my launches were a lot smaller than nothing was to market. I had the covers that people thought were Indian historical fiction. But if you're getting the loyal fan base, that's where you start to get the career stability. Cause you always know that this many people are going to go out and buy new books with these characters. And if you're really giving them a reading experience, they enjoy, they'll go out and buy your other series with all new characters too. Maybe even follow you genre hopping though. That can be a bit iffier. I, I certainly have people that were read the sci-fi but not the fantasy and vice versa all right i've been talking mucho joe your turn okie dokie so uh i'm pretty much in this category uh, uh the last couple of years have ranged from disappointing to disastrous for various reasons and if it wasn't for a year spanning pandemic uh chances are i probably would have been looking for something supplemental just to make myself less anxious uh, I'm still paying all of my bills with my writing and I'm not going into debt at all. Like things are going fine, but they just are going about 25% as fine as they were at my maximum, which is scary. Um, so, uh, I've reached the point where the amount of hustle and reinvestment necessary to keep moving forward is starting to bump up against my like levels of motivation and capacity, which again is scary. Uh, I feel extremely fortunate that I have this career. The previous career I had was in the health insurance industry, which would be a very unfortunate career to have right now. Uh, so I'm glad I'm not there. Like the experimenters, I've got a pile of new things I can do. The nice thing about the current situation I'm in is it's largely of my own doing. It's largely uh, some poor decisions I've made and some things that I know I should be doing, things that I recommend others do that I haven't been doing. So there's a path forward. There's always a path forward if, you, if you're paying attention. Uh, so I'll be trying to forge that path, but it, it says something that even after literally years of feeling as though I was losing my touch and it was all crashing down, I'm still here. I'm still making a living at this job and I'm still learning and improving. And, and from this vantage, I've weathered a pretty lengthy storm. I'll say the main reason I've continued earning and writing was because I diversified. And in, in, in the previous section, we talked about how, uh, you know, keeping things steady is about having multiple incomes. But it, for a long time, as Amazon, you know, Amazon starts off, started off as very high in, in my earnings. I was always wide. So Amazon was never everything that I was making. But uh, as Amazon started to slide down, first, you know, I had a couple of really good years at Barnes & Noble for some reason. And then I started to do really well at Apple. And then I started, uh, you know, my audiobooks started to do pretty well. And then my translations started to do pretty well. So I was able to keep pretty steady for a number of years when I would have been at this stage, I would have been at where I am now five years ago. I would never have quit my job uh, if I didn't diversify. So you know, the nice thing is I've made some correct decisions and hopefully others in, in the situation have made some correct decisions along the way. And also the nice thing is uh, I find myself in a position where I can, you know, analyze my situation and try to correct it. Uh, hopefully most of the people listening to the show are doing the same thing. They're trying to find out what they can do to improve their situation. So things are hard and they're not, you know, they're probably going to keep getting harder, but, you know, you learn and you improve. Um, kind of like Joe, I'm also in that boat. Um, part of it is because my latest series didn't do very well. And I hadn't, I mean, when I really shot a profit, it'd been 10 months since I released something. And so I, it was such a long time from releasing 
and then um, releasing something that was really far away from market. I'm also, I mean, I, there's, there's so many reasons why that, that series didn't do well. And I've got, I'm like adding to that list. Even today, I added another reason to the list for why the series didn't do well. Isn't that great? <laughs> um, learning guys, we're constantly learning. Um, but most of why I'm in that boat is because of life situations, like the health problems I've had, but mainly, honestly, this, this baby, this toddler who I still haven't learned to work around. Um, he is very, you know, every personality is different. He's a lot more demanding sometimes than the others. And he's had more health problems and the allergies and him being unable to eat and still struggling with that now. Um, and then also more time being spent on homeschool now that we have two kids are school age and then Noel's career change and my writing time being sacrificed for a study time and me taking over things that he used to do. Um, so just, I don't know. It's just, I'm finding joy in these things. I'm finding joy in, in the homeschool and, and, you know, and, uh, even doing dishes, which is something I, you know, <laughs> whatever I'm like, yeah, I'm doing dishes again. What is wrong with me? <laughs> but I'm finding joy in these things. And then I'm also, but on the other part, I'm just wondering how long it's going to take until I can focus on books and writing again. Um, but, it's really hard to get excited about a plot when I've only got five minutes here and there most days to work on it. And there's just so many things that are going on. And once I get them finished, hopefully I'll be able to get back into writing again, but, and, and in, you know, a lot of writing at a time, but, um, and then on the other hand, I'm also wondering how much I want to. And that honestly scares me a bit. It's like, this is the first time I've, taken a break from writing and I've been happy during that break. And that makes me nervous. Like, does that mean that I'm never going to want to write again? I don't know. I mean, it is, does this, I don't think I'm burned out. I just think I'm in a different season of life right now, honestly. Um, but being an indie author requires high functioning thinking. Uh, you can't just punch a clock. You can't, it's not like you go into a fast food restaurant and you're just there flipping burgers or, or, you know, pretty much any other job that's, not a high level, you know, in a com company, um, you're the CEO, you're the CFO, the HR and PR departments, plus everything else. So some stress levels force you to put everything, but the writing on the back burner and other stress levels require you to put the writing on the back burner, but not other things. And then again, other levels don't allow for anything at all, but eating, drinking, and sleeping while you fight your way through whatever it is you're going through. And so like, it's just, this is just part of life. This is like we're, we're human beings. We're imperfect people living in imperfect bodies that are going to have problems. And the people around us are going to have problems. And I mean, there's just all sorts of things you can't control. And so just realizing that you, like, like I said earlier, being flexible and then just being, being nice to yourself during these times. And then, and this is me talking to myself too. And then just, and then once you get through that season of life, um, uh, don't make yourself crazy while you're going through those stressful seasons. Like, uh, if only I could be riding right now, that's just going to make, just going to make you more angsty and moody, honestly. So, and then just recognizing that once things calm down, you'll be able to get back into writing. And that again, if things like, if you're in a position where writing is not the problem, where you have the time to write, where just recognizing that, that you're going to, you're going to hit it again. Like if you've been successful in the past, you can be successful again in the future. And I feel like I'm talking to Joe because his face is right in front of me, but I'm not talking to Joe. I'm talking to our listeners, you know, the people who commented and, and like Lindsay said, I, I was surprised not more, more people did not comment, but I kind of suspect that the reason people don't comment is they don't want to share when they're not doing well, you know, because they don't want to either discourage other people or feel like they're, you know, they're, 
they have to put on a face of success, you know, but I mean, in our group, you guys can put on a face of, of whatever your face is, because I mean, I'm not successful right now currently. And, and I mean, it's, you don't have to, I mean, whatever, sorry, total tangent there. <laughs> okay. Lindsay, back to you. <laughs> All right, then. So I think it is a one thing that's kind of encouraging about everything you're learning as an author, all of you guys, Joe and Andrea too, is that uh, you're kind of learning internet marketing as well. So if you do decide, if you get sick of writing, uh, there is there are other things you can do. Honestly, there are other things you can do to make a lot more money. You can be out there selling digital products for $97 and courses for $1,000 and, hey, come to my place in Las Vegas for $20,000 and we'll do an in-person event which may not appeal to the introverts out there, but um, seriously, there are other things you can do that it's easier to make money than selling $5 science fiction eBooks. So if you're not loving it and you're not driven to write, um, you know, realize that what you've learned is, is applicable to other jobs. You can even get a job doing this internet marketing stuff if, if you needed to uh, for some other people. It's amazing how much, how little the average person, like we, we talk about it all the time. So we forget not everybody knows how to make Facebook ads and all that stuff or wants to know. Um, but yeah, you can get in consulting or lots of different things. Um, but I, I think that for the people out there that are the, uh, all they ever wanted to do was be a writer and that's all they want to do. People, um, we got to make it work with our $5 spaceship stories. <laughs> and you just have to sell a lot more than you would if you were doing a thousand dollar course. So can I make, um, Lindsay go ahead. Oh, sorry. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that this is what that meant. <laughs> I was like, I have my hand up. <laughs> can you call on me? <laughs> um, okay. Like you, like you said, and then just those, I don't know. There's so many authors that put guilt into that. They're like, Oh my gosh, did you hear so-and-so quit? Don't do that. Don't do that to other people. And then don't allow that to bother you because just because you're switching to a different career, you know, like Lindsay said, a marketing career, that does not make you a failure. You succeeded at marketing, you know, or you succeeded at some aspect and changing is not, it's not a guilty thing. It's not like you have to be ashamed of that. You know, I mean, like I said earlier, your hobbies, your tastes, your, your interests, they change and it's okay. It's okay to take a break for a while. And it's, and honestly, most people aren't even in notice. You know, if you just stop doing stuff, most people won't even notice. How's that for encouraging? <laughs> unless, unless you're in the middle of a series and yes. left it on a cliffhanger and then you are in trouble. This fan's going to come looking for you. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the last part of the show where we're going to talk about what we would do if we were starting out today with, you know, let's say some resources, like a little money for an editor to get a little inexpensive covers, um, but maybe not a lot to spend on advertising. And I just, I wrote out bullet points. So I'm basically just going to read this um, so I don't leave anything out. Um, this is actually, I was writing this out. I'm like, this is exactly what I did. And I think it was late 2014 when I launched the anonymous pen name. And so I was starting from scratch without, you know, I didn't tell anybody about it for a few months. So I, I was just kind of curious, can I start from scratch without doing it? And then part of it was, I think I knew enough even then to not want to dilute the, uh, also bots and all that stuff on Amazon with bringing my dragons into the pen name was doing science fiction romance, like space opera romance. Um, so. I found, like I said, uh, this is almost the same as what I did then. And I think it's what I would do again today. And I found that interesting because we were talking about how many things have changed. But I feel like most of what's changed is the tactics rather than like the core strategies. There's some kind of fundamental stuff that's working. I will say that I do have a make book one free thing in there, which is a uh, possible now 
possible it was possible six years ago i don't know if that will always be possible so that could be a tactic that might change but anyway i'll just kind of read through this so I would pick the genre slash subgenre that I'm interested in writing in, and that is also solidly in an Amazon category. Bonus points for a newer and less competitive category. Uh, at the time, science fiction and romance only had been out for like a year, and they were still kind of less, uh, let's say, home, more homemade covers and that sort of thing. So it was a little easier back then because I picked a less competitive, newer category. It was also something I was enjoyed reading. I actually had read all the Linnaeus and Claire books and <laughs> I kind of went through all the trad published science fiction romance, which is not very much uh, before I started looking at that stuff. Um, but then I would scope out the covers and tropes that are popular. Since it's me, <laughs> I'll never end up writing solidly to market. Um, that's of limited uh, use, but I do try not to be too far out there these days um, as I'm kind of plotting things out and getting ideas. I did that with my urban fantasy too. Somebody said, this is an urban fantasy. I was like, it's in a city. It's contemporary fantasy on earth. It's It's got assassins. I mean, that's got some of this stuff. Um, but next I would write the first three novels before releasing anything and prepare to write four and five as I'm releasing the first three back to back. It's been a good strategy for me, a good tactic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I, I think it would still work pretty well today. And I would also write at the same time a bonus story or bonus scenes from POV characters that readers of the first book or books be dying to read after reading the other stories. This will be a newsletter exclusive I did this with my first sci-fi, my first space opera series. I did this just recently with the urban fantasy. Tremendously effective. In both cases, for me, these were stories with like a slow burn romance. And so it was super effective to get the male POV. Readers were really curious and wanted that. So they signed up in droves, like way more than any of my other bonuses that were, you know, little, little stories or second epilogues or things like that. Those were super powerful uh, lures, we'll call it. Again, exclusive to the newsletter. If they can just pay 99 cents and buy it on Amazon, they're not going to sign up for your newsletter. Before publishing, I would set up a minimal website with my own domain name with a landing page for the newsletter and a list of the books. I would put a request for reviews at the end of each book, especially the first one, as well as the newsletter sign-up and information about the bonus. I would launch book one wide so I could make it perma-free. Actually, it would be free for now, let's say, because um, it's tough to get the momentum going on a new name, new book, and you can't even get sponsorship sites to like, they won't take your book if you don't have a history of other releases that have good review averages. And let's just say, you know, you probably don't have a lot of money to spend on ads if you're starting out. And it's also hard advertising something that has no reviews yet. This is why when I did the pen name, when I did the pen name, and if I was starting again now, I would just go free right away. Uh, with the pen name, I put it up for 99 cents because, you know, it'd take like a week, I think, to, for it to come free. And I had book two up on pre-order and coming out like right after that. So by the time book one was free, book two was out. And I put the second book in KU and also the subsequent books. So free book one had to be wide. And then I had the second book available right away. Or if you couldn't get it out right away, I'd have the pre-order up because you're, you know, you're not making any money if you do a free book one, right? Until you get them to buy book two. And I would, uh, at that point, you know, of course, put the link to book two in the back of book one also. 
I would do whatever ads I could for the free book, which would probably be like less than a hundred dollars. It'd be like those little sites that aren't too picky about how many reviews it has at that point. Uh, and I actually had a hard time with the sci-fi romance getting many ads because it's not a genre in most places. I think I found, I don't know if it's all romance. There, there's a couple of romance ebook sites that took it and had like a <clears throat> sci-fi and fantasy section. But, you know, to this day, book bub is like sci-fi romance. Eh. <laughs> I think one time I was able to get a book bub and they offered me paranormal romance for my book with spaceships on the cover. I was like, oh yeah, this is going to do well. And it did not do well. So it's, it's tough. That may be something to consider too, when you're picking your genre, is this something that I'm going to be able to get ads on later on? Uh, the sponsorship sites, you can do any kind of pay-per-click ad stuff. Uh, so next on my list, if I had some money, you know, I would do a few Facebook and Amazon ads to that first book. I, I don't like to spend a lot on pay-per-click stuff on a free book. It's, it's tough. You're paying a lot for each click, uh, for the free book. And, uh, it just seems like I find that the sponsorship sites are still more effective. Even if, you know, people always say like, how many people are actually going to read the free book? Are they just going to download it and never do anything with it? I still find that I get quite a few people that come into my universe through those free book ones, uh, after promos like that. So hopefully by the time book three would release, I'd have some people on my newsletter because they were like, I got to get that bonus scene. And it would be easier to um, get a little bit more visibility and a boost with that third book because I'd have some readers by that point. And also sales of two would be helping maybe finance more ads if I needed to. Eventually, once book one has a good number of reviews, and it, especially if the free downloads have dwindled at that point, I would pull it from the other sites and put it into Kindle Unlimited so I'd have a match set and start making money from the page reads. I'd probably still leave it at 99 cents uh, unless I wanted to do Amazon ads, in which case $2.99 is or, or higher is just easier to make it uh, not lose money. <laughs> but And then when you're in KU, you can bounce back and forth between free and doing like the countdown deals and full price so that you can regularly do promotions on it. Uh, chances are not many people will have found it on the other sites when it was free. But knowing that you're going to remove it later, you may not want to do a hardcore cliffhanger. Uh, like with my sci-fi romances, they were all complete you know, stories. Like you wanted to read the next one because I'd introduce the characters that were going to be starring in it. But they were, you know, if you read book one, you felt like you got a complete story. Um, you also could limit the number of other sites you're putting it on since the main reason with this strategy would be to get Amazon to price match it. So I think if you have it on Apple, that's probably going to be enough. You could not even put it on the other stores. And then for subsequent launches in the series, I would just I'd have more people on my newsletter. So I'd send out announcements, continue to make free uh, book one free for later launches and basically rinse and repeat. And if the series is doing well, I'll just keep on doing more of the same and, and keep building the list. All right. Do you guys have any comments on that before? I think Joe's going to go next and share his stuff. I feel tired after saying all that, all that reading. It's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you really gave yourself a job this week. <laughs> um, all right. Now I, I'm just going to move into mine. Um, that's a pretty comprehensive strategy. And honestly, I would use that as a checklist uh, and just uh, roll forward from there. So all I can really add here is some of the specifics of how I would execute some of those tasks. When you're trying to find the genre that fits your writing chops, do some serious research and with an eye toward learning precisely what the audience is after in a given genre. Uh, I've spoken in the past how the only time I really tried, well, one of only two times uh, I really tried to write to market 
I, I shot for steampunk, which was, was having a weird moment when I decided to do that. Uh, and I didn't really read a tremendous amount of steampunk. I looked at, you know, the overall feel of steampunk, which it turns out is more aesthetic than, than, uh, genre for a lot of people. And I missed half the tropes. I missed some really key tropes. So the series has done well, but it probably would have done a lot better if I hadn't made that mistake. Uh, also I would say read books in at least two different series, uh, in a given genre. The other time I tried to write to market, it was urban fantasy. And my prime, I had, I was a huge fan of Jim Butcher's, uh, Dresden Files, but Dresden Files is not representative of the urban fantasy genre. It's, I would say perhaps a subclass. So, uh, I, I, uh, I sort of followed the tropes that I found in there and then discovered that that wasn't half of what people were looking for. So definitely familiarize yourself with the entire, uh, subgenre that you're targeting, not just the top. And that's another thing, by the way, is when you are choosing uh, the people who you're going to sort of study uh, when you decide you're going to write in something, presumably you're already enjoying the genre or else you wouldn't even be thinking about writing it. Remember not to just take your cue from the tippy top sellers. As we said before, steady growth and a long career are what you're after. The very top of any given subgenre list is almost certainly populated by people who are having a run with a, a good run with a recent big promo. That's not to say that they're necessarily, you know, having long-term success, they might not be having any success. They just bought, you know, uh, they got a book pub and now they shout out to the top. So keep your eye on the top 50 or so. I'm not saying make a list of top 50 and update it every week, but keep an eye on, on the top 50 or so. And if you see some names that are sort of cruising along at the middle of that list that are there week after week after week, these are the people uh, that, uh, that you should be, should keep, be keeping an eye on because they're the people who are doing it right. They, they either have a, a tactic in place that is keeping them where they are, or they've set themselves up just with this, the quality of their writing and, and a, and a strong fan base. So look for evergreen people when you're trying to make your decision about what the, the type of book that you're trying to write is. And, uh, for particularly for my first batch of stories in a new series, or if my first batch of stories ever, since we're talking about starting from scratch, I would err on the short side of the length that is appropriate for your genre. Obviously, we've talked a lot about how different genres expect different lengths, and I'm not saying that you should write a 45,000-word epic fantasy because you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would consider that an epic fantasy. But if you know the average for your length for your subgenre is is somewhere between 50,000 and uh, uh, 75,000, shoot for 50,000. Number one, you're investing less of your time. Number two, you're asking readers who are considered you to be an unproven quantity to invest less of their time and, and you can get things out faster. It's not, it's going to hurt you in some ways. You're going to have fewer, you know, fewer pages for page reads. It's going to, when it becomes audio, it's going to be less valuable in that case. But when you're first starting off, I feel like the rap, the rapid release or just really building your catalog is more of a focus than, than some of those other things. You can focus on those other things later. I, that's really great advice, by the way, because <laughs> like, and that's also really good to hear, especially for people who just don't have like me, I'm always talking about time, you know, time to write. It's really a great idea to hit, aim for the lower end because it is less of a time commitment and less of a, just a commitment in all, in all ways. And I'm very non-committal. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I think I've thought over this one the most. What would I do if I were starting today? Because my, my experiences and how I would start today are all bait. Well, what I would, how I would start today is based on my experiences and, and 
you know, if I could take the, the set of knowledge I have and apply that towards a, a brand new author, like what would I, what would I say? And how would I have them, you know, be different? And I, I can't be that way again, because I'm, I'm not a brand new author. I'm not just starting out today, but I don't know. There's basics, um, of course. Um, so picking a genre, studying that genre. And, and basically a lot of this is what Joe and Lindsay were talking about, uh, with a couple of differences. Um, but understanding what makes books in that genre sell. So like covers, descriptions, et cetera. And then writing, um, in, in, I don't know, I'm, I don't write to market, but writing in a way that is mostly close to what readers are expecting for a specific genre. Um, I don't have a lot of time to write books to put aside until they're more ready. So rapid release isn't something that's ever going to work for me. Just be, not, not in this current frame of life anyway, not until um, I'm able to write and then continue writing quickly after, because I think one of the things that, that people fall short on when it comes to rapid releasing is rapid release works best if you can maintain a rapid schedule. But if you write rapidly release, you no know, three books, and then you don't release anything for a very long time, it's kind of a waste of time and energy. And you could have had those books up and getting reviews and making even a small trickle of, of income. Um, anyway, so I'd probably be releasing about four books a year. Um, and like I said, in my little notes here in a perfect world, I would build them up and then release about four books a year or release a book a month or release a book every two months or whatever. But, um, anyway, I'd release into Kindle limited for three months to a year, depending on things or how doing and on how quickly I can release. And then I would release wide. That's what I've generally done in the past. Um, but if you're writing fast enough for KU to make sense, oh, if writing fast enough for KU to make sense isn't possible, um, I'd release from the get-go. I'd wide release from the get-go and focus on having a mini promotion once a month. Um, if I was releasing into Kindle Unlimited, I'd do a massive promotion every quarter on every series starter and box set. So Kindle Unlimited works really, really good for people who are able to maintain a, a fairly decent and consistent release schedule. If you can't do that, then releasing wide is sometimes the best way to go because the other retailers take time to build up anyway. And if you can't take advantage of page reads because Kindle does favor newer releases, then you might as well be building up your audience wide. Um, and this is just, I don't know, this last thought here, uh, I don't know, like people put so much emphasis into like Facebook and Twitter and having an online platform. And, and I, it has benefited me somewhat, but it's so much of a time waste sometimes, you know, that, that I, I personally, I would honestly not pay any attention to them, to social media, except for building a newsletters concern. And then just making sure that I do have a Facebook account and maybe a reader page where people can follow me to get more information, which they probably won't get just because I would be ignoring social media. Um, but Facebook most days is the bane of my existence. Any sort of social media. I'm just, and that's kind of funny because I am an extrovert, but I just, I really don't like hanging out online. And, and most of the time, especially lately, it's just the cesspool of anger and fighting. And I just, I mean, it's such a waste of time. So I don't know. That would be I, my advice to myself if I were starting out now would be, yes, create a Facebook profile, but don't, don't get, don't, don't hang out there. And then of course, focus on building a newsletter and all the other stuff that's, you know, important and all that. But Anyway, the end from Andrea for this episode. <laughs> yeah, I didn't bother with the social media stuff with the pen name. I think I started a Facebook page and occasionally announced new releases there and then forgot about it. Um, but that's why I just did the website with bare minimum because I knew it'd be a lot of work to try to jump around it and maintain two. And, um, you know, if you're in this for the long haul and you're starting a new career, you might as well eventually get some stuff up there. I actually took Facebook off my phone. Um, cause like Andrew, I was like, 
getting annoyed at like the way Facebook algorithm is like, let's not show you the happy thing that nobody commented on. Let's show you the horrible thing that 83 people commented on. And I was like, and I'd catch myself, Oh, look, new messages, you know, cause I'm looking for, I, I would look through and see if somebody did the app thing and tag me. Cause then I'd want to respond and, and you just end up clicking stuff for no reason. And I took it off and I was like, actually, I didn't even take it off my phone. I just moved it to like page five. And now I forget about it completely because it's not there. Oh, you've got new messages to check. Um, and I, but I still go in and do the author page, you know, almost every day, probably like five days a week. I put something up there. It's easier when you're writing a lot and you can share snippets and, and have stuff to always give to people to come up with stuff to post on there. I, I like my pen name is too much work to do it for both. So I just, I found that it wasn't necessary. And I, I will say that even though I outlined a strategy for going into KU, you can certainly go wide. The perma-free book one is really set up well to work on the other sites wide. And I think I just decided that with the pen name, I, I was making more work for myself. So I'd keep it simple and, and just deal with uploading stuff on Amazon and not have to worry about the other stuff. And then the countdown deals are a little easier than going in and manually adjusting the, the prices on the other side. So, and, and it was profitable. The pen name, I think ended up making about 10,000 in the first two months. So could I still do it today? You know, probably not in that same uh, subgenre. I'd probably have to go find something else. It was like, similar to that the amazon's always adding new subgenres i mean not a lot of the time but you'll see them pop up from now and then like in the categories that you follow and, and it's you know they're not necessarily going to be super popular but in the case of sci-fi romance i think there were a lot of people like me who were underserved by traditional publishing had read all the books there were which weren't that many um because traditional publishing was like nope that genre is not profitable we're not even going to waste our time with that so uh, that's why I was able to do that. It probably would have been harder if I decided to jump into epic fantasy where there, there are traditional publishing is serving that well. Readers are maybe not quite as voracious as the romance readers. So, you know, I don't mean to say that, oh, just do these things and it's automatically going to work for you. Uh, but that is what I would do if I was starting again today. And, and I will say that with the rapid releasing the first three books, it, it does, like Andrew said, depend on how fast you can write. Like if you write the first three and it's going to be a year before you get anything else out. Yeah. I think that's probably not going to be that super helpful. If you write the first three and then it's three months until the next one and then six months till the one after that, I think that's going to be fine. I basically did that last year where I launched my sci-fi series and the books got long and I needed a break. So I started writing the urban fantasy in between. So they only got two this year and I now completed the series, but really nobody complained that, you know, they went from coming out quickly to being six months apart. So I don't think you have to necessarily feel that I got to put something out every month if I'm going to do that strategy. Um, and you don't have to do that strategy. Like I said, that that's just what I would do. It's worked and I would keep doing, or I would do it if I was starting from scratch again. Okay. All done talking. It's been over an hour. Do you guys have any final notes as we wrap up before we sign off? I think it's been set. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. So hardly anybody does. Almost everybody just comes to the Facebook group. And uh, yeah, feel free to comment there. Uh, now that I put my Facebook on the backside of my phone, I'm not in there quite as much, but I still think I still could check in a couple times a week. So uh, we will try to be there for you and uh, lots of great people in the group are answering questions too. So we appreciate that. Thanks and bye everyone. Talk to y'all later. So long everybody. <laughs>